But I think it's much harder to do a combination of major maneuvers top to bottom, linking them together with no downtime in between turn A, B, and C, than it is to go pump, pump, air, pump, 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 air in an onshore three-foot right with the wind blowing into it. And welcome back to the Stab Cusp. This is Michael Saramella, joined by my co-host, Stace Galbraith. Wow, we just came out of another big event in El Salvador. It was interesting, to say the least, and we're going to be heading straight into an event in Brazil this coming week. So we're going to be talking about what happened in El Salvador and what is to come in Brazil. Stacey G, how are you doing, buddy? Mikey C, I'm doing well. Um, there was a great team bonding experience Uh this last week here in Australia, down at uh, the beautiful Byron Bay industrial area. It's basically the Milan of Australia. Uh, and that's where the STAB office is located, and that's where uh, the SURF premiere was recently held. And it was uh, it's good to see everyone in the flesh. It's, it's, uh, it's been a while. Yeah, that looked like a fun night. Um, and for everybody listening, don't worry, we are going to be premiering that film live, I think this week actually. Um, but the way it worked is they went and filmed sort of this like redo of the SURF final with Soli Bailey, Ozzy Wright, Ari Brown, and Jake Vincent. Um, and they had to shape their own boards. They went out and rode them. And then people actually voted at the live event as to who won. So it was pretty cool. Um, so we know who won. And it's going to get added to the end of the video that had already been made to display to the public at that premiere. And then you'll get to see it live wherever you are in the world. I'm looking forward to watching it. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shout out to uh, Pod Curator, and uh, I guess you could call him a friend of the show now, uh, Danny Johnson. (laughs) He did such a good job of uh, being the master of ceremonies, and he really, really, uh, really hammed it up with a lot of Hollywood there for the winner. It It was great. All right, so El Salvador. Um, I know this was a really bad time zone for you, as was the case for me with most of the events previously this year. But um, yeah, how'd you go? Did you get to watch much of it, any of it? No, didn't get to watch any of it. There was one day there where they ran late in the afternoon and I woke up and it was still on. But there's something about not catching the start of an event or the start of the day for me that I just can't really plug into it. It just doesn't feel the same so one thing that i have found that's interesting though is that when i watch an event live i feel like you get real wrapped up in the emotion of it all and i think we saw that from uh, a lot of the brazilian um, fans this week and i guess in gland as well even though the time zone wasn't great for them over there but yeah explain that one (laughs) where's my passion for for midnight internet (laughs) blow-ups okay i just don't have any Well, no, but that's that's the interesting thing for me is that when I watch an event live, like I said, like I really do like feel I go through like the wave of emotions of, oh, no, fuck, I thought he won or that or whatever. But when you don't get to watch it live and you're just watching heat analyzers, you're not so tied to it. Like you don't really care that much, I don't think. And so you're able to analyze it a little bit more objectively or at least like without with the emotion stripped away from it. So I'm curious, like, just let's just jump straight into the sort of the biggest topic around this whole thing. Do you think 
Griffin beat Gabby? Do you think Griffin beat uh, Felipe? Yeah, look, I think you could probably break down both heats in the same sentence. Well, after watching the heat analyzers, like you say, you definitely are less attached to um, you know the overall outcomes because you you know it's done. You know, not that you can do anything about it anyway when it's live, but you sometimes want to chuck a hissy fit and feel like it actually might make a difference, but it, it doesn't either way. So I guess, yeah, lots to talk about there. But no, I think, and again, it's probably leaning on an unpopular opinion, but I think it's much harder to do a combination of major maneuvers top to bottom linking them together with no downtime in between turn A, B, and C, than it is to go pump, pump, air, pump, 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 air in an onshore three-foot right with the wind blowing into it. It's For those surfers at that level, it's not that hard for them to just fling a little air. So what's more difficult? I actually think linking major maneuvers together is more difficult. And I say that, but Griffin didn't even have the highest score of that final. So it's just close heats. And that's that's what we want out of these these men and women. And that's what we're getting. And I don't see a problem at all with the results. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be allowed back to Brazil if I say that out loud. Uh, but <laughs> I really just thought it was great, different variety of surfing all around. And I think what Griffin was doing on two waves, again, remember we scored two waves in surfing. I think it's fair game. I thought he won both those heats, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, well, I love the conviction there. I I watched it live, and when Griffin surfed his last wave in the final, I thought, man, that was a small wave. The airs were like fairly standard for these guys like they weren't even like full rotations they were just pretty stock standard air reverses when they dropped the eight i was pretty shocked like i thought it was going to be around the score around the seven um eight seemed really high to me in the end though like it it's, it could have been a nine it wouldn't have really mattered because another wave never came um but yeah i i don't have a problem with the results but i also can see you know due to a recent string of events like the whole jack thing in g-land like, I can see how it's sort of this, like, thing that's bubbling up right now and how anything that feels like it could be close is going to be seen. It's going to be seen as, like, a, I don't know, like, a real touchy point for Brazilian fans. And also, when you have the surfers sort of leaning into it a bit, like, you saw how Felipe was reacting to the judges in G-Land and again in El Salvador. Like, he would have a good wave in El Salvador and he would be, you could see him talking to the judges. Like, obviously they can't hear him, but you, it's just like this emotion is pouring out of him when he's like, all right, is this good enough for you guys? Like, what else can I fucking do for you, you know? Um, and so I think that the fans are feeding off of that a little bit. I will say, though, that Yago Dora and Jadson Andre did a pretty cool thing because the Brazilian fans did something that's unfortunate, um, which is going directly to Griffin and, you know, criticizing him and talking shit on him when I'm, that's just the stupidest thing in the world for so many reasons. Like, he obviously has no control over what the judges do. He's just going out there and surfing his best and fucking surfing damn well. Um, so for them to go after him seemed like a real low ball attack, but it was cool to see Yago and Jadson come in to defend him a little bit. Yeah, 100%. Those guys... You know, you see them around the events and they are, what you see is what you get. They're both great people and great humans and fantastic surfers and it's a shame that they even have to do that. Um, but I guess that's just the the world we're living in. And yeah, I mean, 
it takes a lot to be a professional athlete these days. Like, I read one comment that has a touch of negativity about it with my name in it, and I crumble like Ravita. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how, how those guys manage to do it, but I guess it, it isn't personal because nothing really is at that point. So, um, and I agree with you. Like, what Robbo and Griffin have both done in these last events um, is they've been given opportunities... And they've performed to their best. And that's all they can do. And they're doing it well. Yeah. And it is interesting. Like, there are a lot of comparisons between them right now. Like, they're, you know, the same age pretty much, 23, 24. Um, Both struggled a little bit to find their feet immediately on the CT. And now they're both seen as sort of like alpha dogs to a certain degree. You know, they're not like the top, top, top. You know, that's obviously the Gabbies, the Felipe's, the Johns, etc. But they're in that next uh, row right now. And... As a matter of fact, they find themselves at numbers two and three in the world. And aside from just the the funny incidents of, you know, beating Medina, then Felipe in semifinals and finals that were close and, you know, sort of buzzer beater situations, they're also both sort of into like alternative thinking and practice, like, you know, like meditation and sort of these like left field Eastern philosophies and stuff like yeah they've got something uh, a little bit of a zen thing going on at the moment it seems to be working for them yeah i'm a massive fan of of the the belief structure and the variety of belief structure that you see in surfing uh i've always thought how the brazilians oh the athletes how they handle their losses and how they seem to um you know shift their process onto a higher being has been it's actually kind of inspiring because i've never been able to do that i'm not religious at all um, but to watch them digest their performances and, and almost have like a conversation with themselves with a greater plan in mind is I've got a huge level of respect for it. And then to see Griffin and Jack, you know, jumping on, uh, you know, the Eastern train of thought is again, it's just a belief structure and, and whatever, whatever you believe and whatever you have faith in, if that's going to help you perform your best and, um, you know, all power to you. When it comes to uh, seizing opportunities, Miss Steph Gilmore just made a massive leap to number three in the world. She got her first win this year, and she becomes the seventh winner in seven events. Um, We still haven't had a double up, and we still haven't had Carissa get a win. Um, Carissa lost to Caroline Marks in the quarterfinals, which, um, welcome back, Caroline, and congratulations on your result. And yeah, the only other big name person in this event that like sort of had a moment or not a moment is Tyler Wright, who fell out of the top five after skipping this event because of supposedly some COVID related things. And for this event, Brazil, she cited a visa issue for her absence. So Tyler's going to remain outside of the top five and she's only going to have two events left to get herself back in there before lowers begins. But anyway, congratulations to Steph. I I didn't have that much confidence in her just because I didn't love the way the forecast looked. And to be fair, the the waves did end up being pretty shit for the most of the time. But Steph made it work. And we, if if we'd been listening to the stats, we would have known that she was the smart pick because she's won like almost half of her events in right points. And um, yeah, she made it happen this week. Well, if you're a betting man, which you are, Mikey, you're looking better for the, you're looking for better than fifty percent. So almost half, not quite good enough to get you over the line. However, you did you did kind of call her in our last pod. You, you tried to get me off Carissa, 
but then you were just whatever tired and didn't give a fuck and and yielded uh, and agreed with me. So I'm kind of going to give you half a point there for for Steph. You, you kind of you you were you were onto something there. So well done there. And then like you said, seventh new winner this year. In this situation, long live the final five. This is going to be an incredible showdown for the women at Trestles. Already it's building up. You know, you'd have to think Chris Moore is going to win, you know, an event soon, given these events that are left in the season. So then, you know, we'll have another winner in the mix there. And that's basically everyone that's <laughs> made the cut has won an event this year. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So just so everybody on the podcast is aware... Current rundown is, in first place, we have Carissa Moore, second, Joanne DeFay, third, Steph Gilmore, tied for third, Brisa Hennessy, and fifth is Lakey Peterson. Tyler Wright's fallen into the sixth spot, and after that, we have Isabella Nichols. So that is sort of what the top of the leaderboard looks like for the women, and for the men, it's Felipe Toledo, Jack Robinson, Griffin Colapinto, Italo Ferreira, Kanoa Igarashi, and then sixth is John John Florence, but we know what's going on there. And down in seventh, just sort of outside, is Ethan Ewing, who, God, you'd have to think that he's going to make a push. Um, you know, especially with J-Bay coming, you know, maybe Brazil would be a little tricky for him. I don't know necessarily Chopes, but... Um, God, yeah, I'd just love to see him at lowers, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. 100%. There's a few turns and, and a few, yeah, again, a few combinations of major maneuvers that he showed at uh, Punta, Punta Roca that were just absolutely scintillating. Uh, it, it's one of those things. If you're ever near Ethan Ewing when he's surfing, definitely go and jump in the water and get as close to him as you can. Um just so you can see the angle of his board when he's carving from, say, the channel perspective, because it's absolutely the only surfer on tour that's carving that high up in the wave with that much angle on their board. It is just ridiculous, the shit that he's doing. So, yeah, I would love to see him at Trestles. I don't really know if Trestles would suit him that much because it's just not that steep. It's kind of fucking flat when it gets bigger and I know he'd make it look good I'd love to see him there but when he gets in a steep bowl he, he's carving where like most other surfers are snapping and it's uh, a, a, a real treat when you get to see it live yeah and to that point too I just wanted to say that like watching this event live I don't know how much it comes through in a heat analyzer but watching this event live Felipe Toledo is on still such a different level from I think everybody else in the men's tour in waves like this in particular but like you know Griffin surfed incredibly throughout the event and in the final I think that you could easily say he deserved to win but just even like the shitty waves that Felipe would take off on the amount of speed he generates and the amount of torque that he gets on these like small turns and just whips these airs like they're not like I don't know he just seems to have a different level of ability and it's just so unbelievably fun to watch um, so yeah, that was, when I was watching, I was like, nobody comes even close to this guy, to be honest. And, you know, that includes Ethan, who's also unbelievable, but Felipe just has that little bit extra bit of, you know, X factor, maybe not so much on the face, but like everything else that he does is just incredible. Going into trestles, he, he was most likely going to be in the yellow Jersey. I just, I just, I just, or I'm already getting this feeling like, is he going to fucking let it go? No, don't say that, Stacy. <laughs> this is his year. This has to be it. It has to be. He's he doesn't have 
John or Gabby breathing down his neck. The final event is at the best sort of wave that he could really ask for. Um, I think this has to be his year. And I'm not just saying that because I put $250 on him to win the world title. <laughs> Atta, boy. Yeah, I, I definitely think he deserves one. So I hope he does it. All right, so this brings up potentially an unpopular opinion. This is going to seem weird when he is sitting within the top five and he, by most people's standards, is having a good year. But what happened to Italo Ferreira or... Potentially, what happened to us as viewers and judges? Like, he's just not... His, his. I don't think his surfing has changed, but it just doesn't seem to have the same effect for me and apparently for the judges either. Like, even statistically, since his world title win in 2019, Ichilo's only had six excellent heats, which means 16 points or above. Um, just a little point of comparison would be Medina, who has had eight excellent heats in that time, and he surfed five fewer events. And obviously he hasn't had a win this year. He actually hasn't had a final in 14 months since Newcastle. So have we changed? Has he changed? What's going on? Yeah, I definitely think that we are ready for something new, and it's not a new thing in sport or surfing to, to want that. Uh, has he adjusted anything in his repertoire? I'm not sure that he has. Uh, so that's where we are probably wanting more. And I think as, you know, wanting to be entertained, I think we have every right to kind of expect that. You saw that in uh, his quarterfinal heat with Ethan. Italo beat Ethan on the better waves, and that's why he won that heat. He wasn't the better surfer. And I think for, uh, you know, particularly his world title year, he was sort of surfing his way out of trouble, which I feel like he had that flavor. Two-time stab surfer of the year, I think, and he had every accolade going his way. We've seen it all now, and we're ready for more. And and he's probably slowly starting to figure that out. And if he's not going to be getting the big scores that he wants on the inferior waves, which he's so used to doing... He's going to have to put himself on the better waves, which is pretty much how he won that quarterfinal, which is sort of how like a Geordie Smith or someone looks to compete, which I wouldn't really wish that for Italo at this point in his career. I still think he's got plenty of surfing left in him, and I like it when he catches 15 waves. But he might just have to juggle a little bit more like you'd see someone like Gabby. Gabby rides a lot of waves until he doesn't need to, whereas Italo would just surf and surf and surf and surf and surf. And I think that's what's um, you know ultimately having him come undone. I remember even one of his heats in Newcastle, he did four or five different aerial variations and not one of them went above a 6.83. He won the heat and, you know, he did the hat and the sunnies and the, you know, the thing. But it it wasn't a massive heat total, but it was a massive performance. But they're two different things. Yeah, so, I mean... Has he just done too many errors now and we are just desensitized to them? Because that's kind of the way I feel. Like I see him winding up for a backside error reverse and I'm like, oh, here we go. And it just like, you know what I mean? It just doesn't have that impact anymore. Like he'd have to do such a big one for it to really register with me. Yeah, and even still, he was doing big ones in Newcastle when he made that final and it was a lot of 777s and 767s and 75s. Uh, you know, if you recall, Gabriel had the highest score of that final and was just sitting there waiting for a pretty small score, then the wave never came. So, um, and he had one air that he fell that probably wouldn't have been the score. But yeah, getting back to Italo, 
it's always the size of the section that the judge is looking for on any given day. Whether it's two foot or six foot, they're always looking for the surfer who's showing the most risk in the section that they're hitting. And if he's not on those those best waves with the best sections, his scores are always going to be you know kept down because of that. Because you've got guys like Griffin and Jack now, they're quite clearly happy to wait. And there is a level too of like the there's like a repetition even to Italo's like you know backside turns. I think like as much as he is able to always, you know, push the tail above the lip and stuff. Like, it just, it's sort of like these, this really, like, jabby style surfing, right? Where you, it's just, like, so quick and, like, like such a quick shift of, you know, power and, and everything. And it, it can create a lot of spray and it can be really explosive, but it maybe just doesn't have that same level of, like, rail in the water or even flow that... I think judges are like kind of coming back to a little bit. Like if you look at the success of Ethan and even Felipe, you know what I mean? Like we talked about his, his rail game and it just seems like, you know, like in anything, the trends sort of shift a little bit. And right now the judges are trending toward, I think, flow surfing. I mean, look at, you know, Griffin getting the big scores for his waves where he's just connecting nice, big, smooth turns together. Yeah. Go easy on the just connecting. Like he's fucking jamming it as hard as he can. (laughs) It's true. You know, like, and I feel like that that does get missed a lot. You're like, oh, you just did four turns. It's like, go and look at every single turn individually, and it's a major maneuver. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, I guess, I don't know, like you said, like, if Italo needs to bring something new to the table, I guess that is kind of the the result or the, the situation for him. Um, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but... It's worth considering, like, if he's not getting the results that he wants and that he used to doing this style of surfing, then maybe something does have to change. Speaking of which, you did uh, a piece on the site uh, this week about the best piece of surf advice you've ever been given. Um, What is that, Mikey? Oh, well, mine was something that I heard Noah Dean say, and I think that he said that he learned it from watching Dane. I don't think Dane told him directly. And um, I should caveat this by saying that this is not something that I actually do most of the time. I find myself absolutely failing at achieving this. But when I do do it, it feels fucking amazing. So the tip is to keep your backhand low in a cutback. So you don't need to grab the rail, but if you keep it down by the rail, it creates so much more connection to your board and you just stay so much more over it and you just have so much more power and like stability and control. So whenever I do that, I feel like I just like can actually lean into a turn really hard. and But like I said, most of the time I don't do it. So it's like, why did I even learn it? But anyway, that's my little, that's my that's the best advice I've ever heard. Mm. Derek Hind um, has, a, has a saying for it, and that's, you point to the crowd with that arm that you're talking about, and then you wave to them with the other. So if you need a reference to that, Shane Powell is probably the perfect surfer to look at for that. Right arm down, left arm up. So that creates the, the drive and the release. And and when I heard that in that way, I just, it, yeah, mind exploded. So you're, you're in agreement here? Oh, 100%. Every person that's ever done a good carve in their life, you look at Parko, Mick, Andy, Kelly, look at the statue, look at Kelly's statue. Like, it's all, yeah. I, I, and it depends when you bring that arm in 
as to how tight and quickly you can fit in that turn. So if you look at Connor Coffin, he kind of brings in that that arm a little later than an Ethan Ewing. So that adds to the length in the turn. Yep. Okay, so what's the best advice you've ever heard? Um, I got it from Joel Parkinson, and it was when you're paddling into a wave where you are kind of shitting yourself just to look at the point of the nose of your board and don't worry about anything else until you've made the drop and then Mm, look up okay yeah it's kind of like um just like a you know if you have a really daunting task in front of you you just have to focus on one thing at a time like don't look at the big picture and you'll get freaked out but if you just think of it as like okay i need to do this and then i do that and then i do that and then by the end of it you're done you're good love it yeah it was it actually yeah but keeping it simple actually which is you know no real surprise when you break it down like this but it opened up so many other than what to worry about next and next and next and just compartmentalize it rather than this overarching how do you get barreled at kira kind of conversation that i had in my head after nose diving 55 takeoffs in a row and you got that one at the box too i was hanging on to the nose of my board with my whole being on that wave yes (laughs) the drop wouldn't end on that wave (laughs) (laughs) i love how we're still talking about it 16 months later it's beautiful it was the best wave of my life for sure (laughs) all right so um one last thing before we move into brazil I've heard this referenced. I just need to bring it up. I'm not saying that it's true or not true or whatever, but is there a mid-year cut curse? Because if you think about it, the waves have sucked at every event after the mid-year cut. John John hurt his knee, which I think you could argue uh, has happened before, so maybe that's not related. Um, And we also have surfers not showing up to events. Kelly Slater was quote-unquote sick for El Salvador, but he seemed to be having a pretty okay time in Bali, hanging out. Um, And again, Tyler, we don't fully know the extent of her situation. But it is kind of like, you know, you you get past the mid-year cut, you're on the tour next year. If you're not going for that world title, what is the incentive to show up to these events? Like, realistically, do you think Kelly's going to Brazil? No fucking way. I must admit that I've been a little, uh, I guess, disinterested in a few of the early round heats. Uh, I'm only really interested in the semis and the final, which I didn't see this coming. Uh, if I'm, if this is surf sin, confession hour, I'm kind of looking at the tour going, well, what does this heat matter to this bloke? Yeah, an individual heat or individual event win would be nice for, you know, any one of those guys rated from sort of 12 to 24, but like mathematically, realistically, at this point in the season, they're not going to make the final five. So what does it even mean for them? Conversely, Philippe Toledo at the top, yellow jersey, kind of breaking away. He's pretty much nearly won three comps in a row, but he's had a first and two seconds, and he's just on fire. What does this event even mean to him? Because he's going to make the top five. Yeah, he might finish in second, but he's going to be in there. So what is it? What does it really matter? Kind of having a uh, surf crisis moment. Interesting. Well, I do think, though, that it's really cool getting to see the top surfers go up against one another more often because you're not losing as many guys in the, you know to like random early round heats, I think. And, and also just the way that the 
the rankings are right now. You know, you got Gabby. I think he's technically coming into events at the eighth seed based on how the whole rule book works. And then I don't know. Like we're just we're seeing really good matchups really often, which is fucking incredible for the surf fan. But I think it's still like we talked about this after GLAN. It's just hard when the waves just aren't good. Like we had one afternoon of decent waves for this last event and that was beautiful like when it turned on it was like holy shit like this is like we saw that heat between griffin and kanoa um a few others that were just like yeah like people getting really good waves and doing great surfing so i think i mean again we're going into brazil which we'll talk about the forecast and what that wave is like in general so that may not be it but we are ending the year on J bay and tahiti so there is hope um that we'll at least get to see the back half of the year in beautiful conditions and kind of feel out what that brings to the table if it's something that we enjoy or if again it feels like there's not enough consequence for it to really matter um but with that the other way that you can make heats more interesting stacy is you can bet on them so obviously betonline.ag is our partner here in the podcast i put a decent amount of money into this event i actually made two $100 $100 bets, as you requested. Um, I actually went over. I think you only needed one. So I put $100 on Felipe to win the event. Obviously, that came up short. Um, and then I put $100 on Griffin to beat Medina in the semi. So I won that one, which was awesome. Overall, I came up $170 in the positive. Thus far, I'm actually 5 for 5 in events. And overall, like coming out in the positive, which I didn't really think would be the case but you know one of the things that i've learned i was talking about it with buck on last week is like this is just a numbers game and if you play the numbers right all you need is a couple wins every day and you're going to come out in the black so i'm learning as i go and you can sort of follow that journey in the daily comp wraps of each event and yeah if you want to bet along with me maybe we'll make some money together something that might make the punters happy and i think i uh, can break some news here Pretty sure Jiao Chiang is going to get the wild card for Brazil. So I know a lot of people are upset that he didn't make the tour, uh, make the cut for the back half of the tour, I should say. Uh, but he's going to get another chance here in his hometown. So I'm very, very interested to see how he goes and if he's going to surf with just that little bit of extra spice in uh, some of his turns, which he didn't need any more spice. He's a very spicy surfer. Um, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be cool to see. I think how how he shows up. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have. John John to stomp him out this time, which is nice. And it'd also be really fitting if he is the wild card because this is where we were actually introduced to Joao Chianca. And not in the event per se, but during the event window back in, I think it was 2018, um, that right-hander on the, I guess it would be the south end of the beach or maybe the west end of the beach in Sacarema, turned on and I remember you know you'd you'd be watching the webcast and they'd like pan over and you'd see guys just getting spit out of barrels and Joel Chianca got like two or three waves that day that were like I think at the time he called them the best waves of his life he certainly had a lot better ones since then but that was back when he was like 18 or whatever and yeah just super deep super long throaty double triple spitting barrels off that right and it was like oh who is this guy oh it's freaking Lucas Chianca's little brother. Okay, is this guy legit? I guess so. Um, And since then, obviously, he's gone on to do way bigger and better things. But that is, yeah, that's where, for me at least, I even found out that Joao Chianca existed. I actually surfed that afternoon of those clips, and it was, oh my God, pumping. 
and a lot of the competitors that lost that day were, oh my God, fucked off. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, it uh, sort of takes about the same amount of time to move from the uh, the left up on, I guess, yeah, the east end of the beach. Uh, sort of similar movement from like main break to the box. It, it, they can't just flip the switch on it. They've you know, got a couple of hours. And yeah, that that day was painful for everyone that lost. Uh, because we kind of didn't know that right could get that good. Been there a few times before for the QS and had it fun and junky, and there's even another right around the other way that's kind of a bit more of a slab and it's shorter and it breaks on the beach. And But it was like backdoor, off the wall, Iluka, but on steroids. And, um, yeah, really, he put that wave on the map and, and obviously, like you said, went on to do uh, lots more after that. I don't know about better and better things, though, because uh, bigger and better, because you're getting barreled in your front yard. <laughs> I mean, right up there. it's the best feeling in the world, but there's something to be said for going to Hawaii and getting the waves that he's gotten and recently going to Tahiti and getting the waves he's gotten and, of course, qualifying for the tour and basically being the fan favorite rookie of the year. Sorry, Callum Robson. <laughs> um, but, okay, so Brazil, we've been in Sakurama since 2017. We've obviously had some good waves, as we just talked about, and we've also had some pretty average waves. It looks so hard to surf in general, because, like you said, there's the left-ish thing down the beach, and then there's the right on the other end. Um, I think we can all agree that the right is the better wave when it's on, but it seems a lot more fickle. So the forecast right now, it looks like there's going to be a little swell the first day. Um, should be funnish. I've actually been kind of monitoring the surf cam there just to get an idea of what uh, swell directions and sizes produce what outcomes. So the waves look pretty fun there today. It's, you know, it's overhead. There's some tubes. Um, looks a little straight and closed out for sure, but like you could find some if you're lucky. I think it's going to be pretty similar on that first day. Then we go into a bit of a smaller period. So I think that's what sort of the first day is going to look like. And then we go into a bit of a down period. Waves are going to get small. Um, probably going to be pretty tricky. You could run if you want to, but it'll probably be pretty backwashy and weird. And then toward the back end of the draw, you have another swell coming in that looks even bigger. So that's where we're really thinking maybe that right could turn on. Yes, yeah, Stacey, a bit of south swell? I think so. Um, unfortunately, it, it needs... I think to be around the two meter mark, which we will see on that second swell and from that south direction. But anything smaller than that, I don't think it really fires up. And the the bad news is, is that that swell direction up on the left, like you said, is a lot of closeouts and a lot of backwash because the swell just seems to just kind of jam straight into that beach. And almost every beach I've ever been to over there has like a 45 degree sort of incline or decline into the ocean that just creates these gutters and these rips, which should be so fun, but they just seem to have equal amount of backwash in every single wave. And it's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing because the setups are so sick. If there was no, yeah, that looks, it looks really hard to say. Like even, you know, sometimes when you're watching, uh, people surf waves. It's like, oh, that looks so fun. But this wave like looks tricky to surf. Like you're watching it and you're kind of like feeling for <laughs> these CT surfers. So it'll be interesting. And I guess all we can do at this point is look at some of the um, the past stats over there, yeah, and try to figure out who we think might win. It's a pretty uh, pretty sure sign as to 
who I think we're going to be leaning on pretty heavily to take this thing out. <laughs> Who's that? Can you call it a three-peat? We've had a few years off. Yeah, you can call it a three-peat. Right. Just like if Luke Egan won G-Land, it would have been back-to-back. <laughs> yeah, he'd replica board there. He could have done it. Um, <laughs> I, I, out of being kind of just sort of feeling like I've picked him every comp this year, uh, I, I can't pick him for this event as, as much as I think he's the best surfer in the draw, and I'd be very surprised to see him not win. But, yeah, Philippe Toledo is the two-time defending champ. Um and uh, he, he can win it anyway up there. You, you saw the size of the gigantic air he did on that left. Um, I believe that was the second last time it ran. And then obviously he was super dominant uh, over Wade Carmichael uh, in, in the right-hander the, the year after. So doesn't really matter for Philippe what, what way he's going or what peak it's going to run on. He's going to be super gnarly. But I'm going to stick my neck right out there and uh, say Kanoa Igarashi is going to do pretty well this comp. Ooh, you think Kanoa's going to make a run? Okay, okay. I like it, I like it. Um, before I give my picks, I just want to go through some of the considerations, you know, some of the things that have happened or haven't happened. So, interestingly enough, Gabriel Medina has never won a CT in Brazil. Couldn't tell you why, but it's just a fact. Jack Freestone. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Italo has only made the semis once in Brazil which, again, seems odd to me, but it is what it is. Jack Freestone again. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, well. Um, Jadson Andre has won an event in Brazil, as we all know, 2010. <laughs> Santa Catarina. Chaddy deserves one. He's been on fire this year. <laughs> um, Jack Robinson has never surfed the CT in Brazil. He's obviously been there for some QS events, but, yeah, he's never done the CT. He, I mean, you think about Jack, like this type of wave doesn't necessarily strike you as one where he would excel, but at the same time, the way he's been surfing this year and the amount of confidence he's had, it's like, yeah, he could go out and do absolutely anything anywhere. So wouldn't put it past him. On the women's side, Sally Fitzgibbons is the defending champ, and she's had a few wins over here. On the flip side, Carissa, who again, doesn't have a win yet this year, she hasn't won in Brazil in over 10 years. She won back in 2011. And Steph in nine tries in Brazil has only won one time, um, which, you know, you, you look at Steph surfing and you, you don't think Brazilian beach break per se. But yeah, if she wants to sort of keep climbing those ranks, she's going to have to go above and beyond again. Um, meanwhile, Tati, the only female Brazilian on tour currently, she doesn't have a great track record here. She's got one semi and a couple quarters in six events. But with that said... I am going to go out in a limb. I'm going to go against the stats this year. So I'm going to go Tati for the women, and I'm going to go Italo. I know we just talked a lot about him and how he might have to change some things. I don't know if he's going to change anything right now, but I think that something's going to come through for him in this event. Like He's just been so waiting through the quarters and stuff all year and you know obviously had a semi in El Salvador but it just he just hasn't really felt like himself like he's really clicked in and I think something's going to happen in this event and he's going to bring it home did the goofy footers write you an email after your aggressive headline at El Salvador and you've gone full circle and picked two goofy footers here for for Rio for <laughs> well was I was I wrong was there a goofy footer in the final no you weren't wrong you're just a See you next Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, at the end of the day, you got to call him like you see him. I saw a right point break, and I saw the best rail surfers on tour 
being regular footers. So it all came to fruition. Yeah, well, dare I say it, Mikey, you were right. <laughs> Thanks, Stacey. Um, so yeah, Italo and Tati. <laughs> I've already given my unpopular opinion. What's yours? Well, I guess mine was sort of the Italo thing earlier on. I mean, I just, yeah, it feels weird to say. It, it almost makes you think for a second that like, oh, was Italo, was he kind of like a fling? You know what I mean? Like this thing that was like really exciting for a little bit, but then you realize that it doesn't necessarily have that long-term capability. Like it just, yeah, I don't know. I guess that was my unpopular opinion. Happy to be proven wrong. But I think that some some development, some maturity needs to occur either in myself or, or in Italo for this to continue. So, all right, who's your female? Joanne DeFay. She seems like a safe pick this year. I don't think she's done worse than the quarters all year. One thing, Simpo, I think the WSL need to get him on for trestles. I just think he's the best. He's that funny. He's super smart. He's on the tour in one of like the best generations of that like turning of the tide era. And I just think he's so valuable. They had him on the phone for like 10 minutes in the Kanoa Griffin heat. And he just, on the heat replay even, like you said, it's still not as impactful, but I was still just in tears just listening to him talk. And then he would also give off some, some deep insight. You know, he's the, he's the coach of the USA Olympic team and, He's just been around every level of the sport. He's just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, God, I miss him. Simpo is a fucking hilarious person. He's a great guy to hang out with. Um, We actually had him on Stab Highway, which is going to be dropping this Thursday, the first episode. He's not in that one, but he will be coming up somewhere in the future episodes. I think the one thing, though, is the the WSL has taken, you know, some pretty hard political stances on things. And so I think we've seen some of the more contentious, quote-unquote, commentators getting given a bit of the uh, the back seat. You know, you, you've seen Barton Lynch hasn't had so many appearances this year. And, um, yeah, Simpo, too. Like, I just, I don't want to speak for them because I obviously am not in their conversations and all this, but it seems like people who have taken sort of a difference in opinion with the WSL's stated political stance. They don't quite get as much airtime as they Yeah, I guess, you know, I think Barton, he got a start at uh, Sunset, and then, you know, his further travel throughout the rest of the year might be contingent upon some of his personal opinions and belief, which is completely fine. And then for Simpo, though, if you're happy to have him on as a dial-in call for 10 minutes, like, in a live setting, too, th- those calls are live, so that's a pretty big risk to take. Uh, if you are worried about someone and what they might potentially say, uh, having someone on site and then just, you know, if you're worried about them, you just do everything to tape and then roll them in later, then, yeah, I just think he's valuable enough um, to want to have there. And, yeah, you might just have to uh, difference yourself from the, the man from the art. Okay, so one last question. Uh, we've obviously seen, you know, the past two events, there's been a lot of contentious calls. We've seen a lot of angry commentators, particularly from Brazil. Are we going to see a riot in Rio? Absolutely not. Um, I love, uh, Brazil. It's a fantastic part of the world with fantastic people. And even here in Australia, uh, you know, plenty of Brazilians around my hometown and, and they're all great dudes. 
But on the internet, they're all talk, and there's been plenty of opportunities for them in the past to carry on in Sakurama or Rio, and it just doesn't happen. So it's not going to happen this year, and it, it won't happen ever. They, you know, the people that go down the beach, they all love surfing. The people that, that you know actually cheer on the event. Um, the only time I can ever remember a protest of any kind um, in. Brazil and in Sakurama was one year a lady came down the beach with a massive sign and she was holding it up by herself and it was WSL where are the girls kind of complaining about like conditions and this and that so the WSL listened and you know the next year after that the the, the they joined the tours and the prize money came up and there you go so all it takes is one sign um, but other than that one sign, I hadn't seen anything else uh, there over the years. Wow. Well, cries free, as they say. I, I don't understand that one. Can you can you spell that out for me? <laughs> no, I can't, Stacey. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. Uh, well, it, it, it is just what it is. Okay, sweet. I just wasn't making sure there was something not deeper than what it actually meant. Um, sometimes the translation, the broken English, is it gets a little lost in translation there. But yeah, I can cry for free. Cool. Well, with that, Stacey, um, it was a pleasure chatting El Salvador and Brazil. Again, if you want to follow our betonline.ag picks, you can catch them on the site. We're going to be doing a preview of Brazil that's going to be going live any moment now. And I'm going to have my event winner picks and perhaps some round one picks as well. Although I do prefer to sort of like see the conditions and make the picks in the moment. Um, sometimes I'll go a little bit early just for the reader's sake, but, uh, yeah, let's win some money together. You're going to be getting on that surf cam vibe. Yeah. Big surf cam guy. That is top shelf surf nerdery. That that deserves a little (laughs) golf. And as always, um, ride the Baker train. That's what Buck and I have pretty much been relying on all year long. And he provides event after event. Jackson Baker. Love you long time. Speaking of you and Buck, I've obviously been listening to you guys a lot because I've been uh, taking care of some back end admin there with the drop. How did Brendan Buckley not know about the super magic duck dive? I don't know. I don't know. That was mind-blowing. He's like 32. He's surfed every day of his life. And he surfed big waves. Yeah, I was tripping as well. Tripping. Absolutely tripping. Um, Anyway, cheat codes. Go get some. Get on that. It's fantastic. Um, Go and watch the Mick Fanning one if you haven't. And then uh, the uh, the John Florence one is, uh, is... Absolutely uh, phenomenal. I never thought I would just indulge in uh, 10 minutes with duck diving. Um, All right. Well, that's been it for this week's episode of the Stab Cusp. We'll obviously be back after the Brazil event. And then we might finally get a little break, Stacey. We've got a bit of a gap between the end of this event and uh, J-Bay, as it were. So anyway, we'll catch you guys in a week or so. And until then, over and out.